God, that is, um, that's our goal. That's our desire. Is that when uh, the world around us just falls apart, that our confidence is only in you. So God, may we, may we trust you well. I pray for the souls and hearts of the people who are even in this room right now who are wrestling with things both spoken and unspoken. That God, honestly, I don't have words for him. Because hope doesn't come from any wisdom that's in my head. Hope comes from the presence of a God who loved us enough to send his son. So Lord, would you fill us full of that hope today? Teach us today. Teach us how to speak to you, um, how to draw near to you, how to enjoy your presence. We love you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' good name I pray, amen. Amen, please have a seat. All right, uh, Matthew 6. If you take your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 6. While you're you're turning there, um, I'll talk about the the giant panel in your your bulletin there and explain what's happening here. So over the last number of weeks and months, um, we've asked for your um, nominations uh, for our sermon series coming up this summer. So let me give you some details. We received 55 emails. Those emails included 71 questions or nominations. Some of you had a whole list on your email. I just deleted those. <laughs> just kidding. Um, out of those 71 questions and nominations, um, I literally cut and paste. I cut out all the questions and then started grouping them together in little pieces of paper. And I came up with 42 different topics you asked about. I only got nine weeks, so there's no way we're doing 42. Out of those 42, I set aside 18 topics that either wouldn't have enough content to do a whole message on. I know, of all guys, I could make it long enough. Or it's just way too broad, there's no way really to narrow it down. So what we'll do with those is we're going to ask our elder team and a few other people to answer those questions uh, throughout the summer on Facebook and a couple other places. However, in your bulletin are 23 topics for you to vote on. And so it's very simple, in the next couple, you don't have to do it right now, you can do it later, or if you get really bored in the middle of the message, I will know because I will hear you tear it out. Subtle, but I get it. Um, and you get to vote for three. You can vote there uh, from within your bulletin, or you can go online to the messages page, utown.org messages, and there's an online form where you can vote for your top three. We're gonna accumulate those, and that'll determine our preaching series for the summer. I am nervous and excited all at the same time. My summer is in your hands. Love me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm, I'm really actually quite excited about it. So um, not half as excited as I am about the message this morning. So um, <laughs> buckle up. That's what I'll say. Matthew chapter 6 is where we are. Let me read our passage to you. Um, and then we are going to go about answering the question, why prayer? Why prayer? Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, it says this. Whenever you pray, 
You must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you this, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room and shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you even ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And don't bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. So as we've walked through this current series talking about the different things that Christians do, the different things that churches do, the, the reason behind them, I, I think you already understand, and, and you'll certainly understand it this morning as we walk through the topic of prayer, that every single one of these topics is deep, and there have been literally hundreds and thousands of books and sermons and talks that have been published on these. And so uh, my ability to get through uh, all of that in 30 minutes is impossible. So really, I am kind of skimming, but what I want to do is really leave us with the essence of why it is we do what we do and how important it is. All of us are familiar, I think, if you've been a Christian for any length of time or around a number of Christians for any length of time, we're all familiar with the frustrating and beautiful aspects of prayer. One of the most beautiful aspects of prayer is, is many of us, if not in our own lives, have been really close to situations where people have been praying for these seemingly insurmountable needs in their lives, these incredibly important things, and God shows up like a knight in shining armor and, and rescues them from their dilemma. And, and as a congregation, as a corporate body, we celebrate when, when God has come through. That's the beautiful aspect of prayer, but the frustrating aspect of prayer is on the flip side. We pray and pray, pray. And the answer we get is perplexing at best. I mean, there's times, I don't know about you, but there's times where I have prayed my guts out thinking there is no way it can get any worse. But as soon as I said amen, the phone rang. So, so why do we pray if that's true? Why do we pray if, there is such beauty in it and yet such frustration in it. What is the purpose of praying? And so the first thing we're going to look at is why do we pray? The first answer is this. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that's been given us. It's said throughout Scripture. Psalm 145 is one place it says this. He he's draws near to those who call on him. He's near to those who, who go near to him. One of my favorite verses about a privilege in prayer is Deuteronomy 4, verse 7. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it? as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him. Who's got that privilege like we have? That the moment that we cry out to our heavenly father, he's near to us. It's a privilege that we have, so that's one of the reasons 
we pray. We also pray because it's commanded. Luke 18, 1, now Jesus told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and to not give up. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. The easy one, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray constantly. I like direct and easy, right? How about James 5, 13? If any of you are suffering, he should pray. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the, in the name of the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so we are commanded to pray. It's also assumed that we will pray. So if you look at the passage we just read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus says, so whenever you pray, verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 5, whenever you pray, verse 6, but when you pray, verse 7, when you pray, verse 9, this is how you should pray. So it's commanded, it's assumed, and it's an incredible privilege that we have. So why don't we pray? Um, D.A. Carson, I think it was D.A. Carson, some great, really smart theologian guy who's old. That seems to get me in a lot of trouble lately, you know that? Um, made a comment, I think it was D.A. Carson, said, um, if you want to uh, humiliate a Christian publicly, make them stand up and tell everybody around them what their prayer life is like. Because the commonality that we all share is for some reason we struggle in prayer. So why don't we pray? Why do we struggle in prayer? I'll give you two reasons and we're going to answer them. I think we struggle in prayer because we don't understand what prayer is. I think we struggle in prayer because we don't know how to pray. And so we're going to try to answer both of those. So the first one I'm going to try to answer is, so what is prayer? It's personal communication with God. It's making an appeal or a request based on God's character to do what he sees as best. Prayer is really a reflection of your understanding of the thing called the gospel. You heard about the gospel? The gospel is the fact that you and I have been born sinners, and as a result of our sin, we are continually offending a holy and just God. And because of our offense, our sinfulness that offends such a holy God, there is a lack of peace between us and God. And no matter what we do to try to appease him, we can't possibly pull it off because all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And God seeing us in our weakest, God knowing that, that we were still sinners and separated from God, in that moment, while we were still sinners, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ came and lived the life that you and I could never live in perfection, fulfilling the Old Testament law in his perfection. And then he died the death that every single one of us deserves to die by taking our place on the cross. And he was buried. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. That is the declaration of the good news of the gospel. You want to know what prayer is? Prayer is a reflection of your understanding of that gospel. Many of us who have grown up in the church have been taught a model of prayer called the ACTS model, A-C-T-S. It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. If you include those in your prayer, then it gives you an idea of how to actually pray. Let me, let me address that just a little bit. I, I fully agree with that, and I think the ACTS model actually is, goes further to demonstrate your understanding of the gospel in your prayer life. Because if you're praying that Acts model, as you adore God, what you are doing is you are confessing with your mouth that he is good, just, holy, righteous, and there is none other like him. 
If you are confessing, what you are doing is confessing from your mouth to that holy, just God that you're a sinner in need of salvation and there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And in thanksgiving, you're admitting that in Christ, there's forgiveness. In Christ, there's peace. While in confession, we crawl into God's presence as filthy and stained individuals. Through thanksgiving and what Jesus Christ did for us, we walk out of God's presence clean, whole, and forgiven. Supplication, well, those are your requests. And those will give you an accurate picture of where your heart is resting. And that's what we're going to talk about. So how do you pray? How do we pray? um, That's what we're going to talk about here with what Jesus did in the model prayer that we're all very familiar with. I'm going to start in verse 5 and kind of work our way through it. It's interesting. About prayer, what you need to understand is this. This is the only time the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them how to do something. In Luke 11, it's a parallel uh, passage. What you see is the disciples looking at Jesus and saying, Master, would you teach us how to pray? They never asked him, hey, Lord, would you teach us how to cast out demons? Would you teach us how to walk on water? But when it came to prayer, they said, Jesus, would you teach us? This is hard. So you're in good company. And so Jesus answers them, starting in verse 5. He says, when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites. They like to stand on the street corners. They like to stand up and be seen by people. And truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But instead, what I want you to do is go into your private room and shut your door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So basically what he says is, what is the true motivation of your prayer life? What you seek as a reward through prayer, that's what you're going to get. You want to be seen by other people in your prayer? Well, then you'll be seen by other people, but that's as far as it's going to go. He continues, verse 7, and he's talking about don't don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Um, I do hope that Frank doesn't offend anybody in the room with this point right now. I do hope that if you're offended, you see it, the Holy Spirit putting his finger in your heart. Okay? So I'm going to do this because I love you. I'm going to be a little bit more obnoxious because I love you. That's it's a gift to you. Okay, so make sure you see it like that. When he says, don't babble like the Gentiles, I believe the place we see that most often is in the person who decides that when they pray, it has to be long-winded, it has to be ornate, it has to be this soliloquy that includes these and thous and thines and whithersoever thou goest, and he uses a lisp because you always say, believeth. Because somehow in their mind, what they're thinking is, if I use that flowery language, then God has to hear me. And Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles who think they have to come up with a magic mantra. That's witchcraft. And I I hate to tell you, but I believe many followers of Jesus use more witchcraft in their prayers than they do a heartfelt adoration for the God they're praying to. Because I need to start my prayers with, Dear Heavenly Father, and I must end them with, In Jesus' name. You judge other people's prayer based on how they start it, how they dial, and how they hang up. And the reality is, Jesus says, stop it! When you pray, there's no hocus pocus that you can do to get God's attention. He already knows. Stop. God already knows you can't manipulate him. 
So instead, pray like this. Now, I'm going to step out just a little bit, and again, this praise, praying that this is the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life. I think it's really interesting that in this passage, in the context, Jesus says, stop with the hocus-pocus mantra-type prayers. Stop just saying the words you think you're supposed to say so that God will hear you. And let me teach you how you should pray. And then he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. And the most mind-numbing, repetitive prayer in American culture today is the Lord's Prayer. So basically, we get Jesus saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't this. And we're like, okay, I'm going to do that. Leave it to us in our great wisdom. Jesus says, this is what you should pray like. You should pray like one who maintains a focus on someone other than yourself. Pray like one who maintains a focus on someone other than themselves. He starts off his prayer, our Father. You hear that? Dad? Not just a judge. Not just a ruler, not just an authority, but a dad who's available, who listens, who's patient, who's wise. A daddy who, who wants to listen to his kids. Now, for a moment, think about who his kids are. I mean, he ain't driving around with any honor roll athletic awards on the back of his car when he thinks about us as his kids. We're the ones who are always in the principal's office, always getting detention, getting the late night call from the local jail. But he's our father. And when you pray, remember that. He's our father who is in heaven. He is not a staffer. He's not an underling. He's not even the CEO or the president. He is the king of kings. So when you lift your voice to your daddy, it's not an impotent daddy unable to bring about any change. You are lifting your voice to a daddy who does what he wants. Psalm 115.3, our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. There ain't nobody who can stop him. Think about Babel. I don't know if you think about Babel often. <laughs> uh, Genesis chapter 11 is this crazy story kind of interjected in there where the people are like, I got it. We got this figured out. Let's build this huge tower all the way up to the heavens and then we'll be just like God. And it says that they worked together like no people had ever worked together. They worked together like no people since then have ever worked together. There was no, 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 no uh, breakup in the language. There was no language barrier. They were able to have this, this amazing work ethic and unity, and they're doing it and doing it, and, and they got to the height of their height, and they were going to continue going. And it says, even when things were going amazing, you know what God had to do? Stoop down from heaven. He looked at all the accomplishments these people had pulled off that they were so very proud of, and he went, well, what do we got down there? That's pretty small. That's who you're talking to when you pray. He's our Father who is in heaven. It's his position, and there was no one like him. That's who we're talking to when we pray, the one who loves us with the indescribable love of a daddy and has the power and authority to answer our prayers in a way that is going to be best for us. Our Father who is in heaven I'll go with the King James Version. Hallowed be your name. Not hollow, hallow. Hallowed be your 
name. Great is your name. Your name be honored as holy. Let your name, your renown, your reputation, let who you are be seen and magnified and glorified and exalted and loved and wondered about and written about and pursued. Because God, we want your reputation to advance, not ours. We want people to see you for who you truly are. And so as you pray to your Father who is in heaven, the guiding principle of your prayer is this. It is to be God-centered. It is to be focused on him and who he is. And it continues. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, not ours. It's not ours. We we don't want to be building this little kingdom that's going to stand in competition with God's kingdom because it won't go well for us. We, We want your kingdom to continue. We want the gospel to be spreading and successful throughout the world. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. And that's where it gets hard. It's not ours, it's yours. I have my desires, I have my wishes, I have my wants, but it's not what I want, it's, it's your will. <laughs> On earth as it is in heaven is an interesting little phrase, isn't it? It's a fascinating phrase. Because you think about it, as, as God is in his heaven, there is nothing that's creating friction for him. Whatever he wants to do in heaven happens. Our prayer should be, God, we want that same thing here. We, we want nothing to stand in your way. We want nothing to compete against you. We want your will with no competition. In every situation we face, we want to make much of your name. Even if it means uh, what we want, what we desperately want, doesn't happen. Because it's his will, his kingdom, his name. Just to be clear, that can betray our idolatrous hearts when we get to that point in our prayer, can it? Do we try to get what we want or do we really accept what it is that he wants? I mean, reality is, for too many of us, prayer has become this time where I come to God and I ask him for something. Ask him for something that I want, think I need, and then I expect him to give me everything I asked for. Bad news. God ain't your servant. He doesn't do your bidding for you. You got the roles reversed a little bit about who's God, don't you? And so as we pray, it must be God-centered. We must remember that it's his will, not our will. It's what he wants, not what we want. And he continues, he says, give us, give us our daily bread. That's not a weekly prayer. That's not a monthly prayer. This is a day by day, moment by moment, give us what it is that we need for today. It's the exact same thing that the children of Israel had to do while they were wandering through the wilderness. And every morning they had to wake up and go out and get a fresh supply of manna, a fresh supply of that, that heavenly bread for the day. And if they took too much, then it was just gonna rot on them because God wanted them daily to have to depend on him and never on their own abilities. So give us today exactly what it is we need. 
Nothing more, nothing less. That's, that's Proverbs chapter 30. My wife has, has mentioned this verse to me a number of times in the, the, the time we've been married, and it's fascinating. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food that I need. Otherwise, if I have too much, I might deny you and say, who's the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal and profane your name. God, give me exactly what I need. If you give me too much, I'm going to be like, look what I accomplished. If you give me not enough, then I'm going to start stealing stuff. So God, give me exactly what it is that I need to make much of you today. So if that means today's a little lean, and then God, I want to, I'm purposing in my heart to make much of you in the leanness. And if the barn doors cannot hold in the great wealth of what you have poured in, then praise God, I'm going to make much of you as I celebrate those gifts. Give me what I need today to make much of you. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Man, we have a daily need of forgiveness too, don't we? And that reminds us of how prone we are to wander and how eager God is to forgive us. And when we truly understand grace and that grace has rooted itself in our hearts, then we're able to extend grace to other people. So God, would you give us our daily bread, what we need today to make much of you? Would you forgive us our debts as we forgive others? Lord, would you make much of yourself through the unthinkable forgiveness that we both experience and share with other people? And then finally, bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <laughs> so some people read the Bible, and I've done it a number of times, and they're like, ah, it's so hard to understand. I can't figure it. So when you get to that verse 13 there, and don't bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you're struggling to understand what that means, take a pen, and in the side margin there, just write, help. Because that's what the daily prayer is for his children. And there's sweet relief in that, isn't there? There's, there's beauty in the fact that none of us have mastered the escape from temptation on our own. There's beauty in the fact that we get to cry out to him no matter how righteous we think we are, and then unrighteous we think we are as we fall. We can cry out to him for help. We can cry out to him in the midst of our temptation and say, would you deliver us from temptation? Because we can't do that on our own. We need your help to pull this off. Help. Protect me. Guide me. Cover me. So, so how, how do we pray? We pray remembering that it's about God. That he's at the center of our prayer. So, so let me end where I began. Don't get too excited, there's a little bit longer. When I say end, I don't mean like two minutes. It, you weren't excited, you know me now. How do we pray? Or why do we pray? Why is it that we pray? What, what is the point? Why do you and I pray? Because he answers our prayers. So let me, let me read a story to you. <laughs> Luke chapter 11. Now, you've got to bear with the story. Let me read it. Ready? Jesus says this. Suppose one of you has a friend, and that friend goes to him at midnight and says to him, Hey, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because I had another friend of mine who's on a journey come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. And the guy inside says to him, man, don't bother me. The door is locked. My children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. 
Jesus says, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So let me explain that to you. So it says it's at midnight. For us, midnight's nothing. People who live in a culture that has electricity, midnight, not so late, okay? You live in a culture that has no electricity. It's been dark for three, maybe four hours. Midnight is the middle of the night. And so in the middle of the night, this guy and his, got his kids in bed and they are trying to sleep. And then from outside on the porch, he hears, hey, hey, Sammy, I need some bread. So what does Sammy say? Wayne, what are you doing here, man? The kids are asleep. If I get up and get you bread, I'm going to wake everybody up and the kids are going to be crabby in the morning and my wife's not going to be too happy if she doesn't get her 12 hours, so... Oh, relax, easy. It's all right. That was just a joke. Yikes. Sammy's a little rugged around the edges, to forgive him. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, but what ends up happening is, is, is Sammy should say, just go away, go away. And, and Wayne, when Wayne's not having any of it. Wayne's like, man, I need bread. Give me bread. I need bread. No, go away. I'll talk to you in the morning. So you imagine maybe five, six, seven seconds go by and you hear, I'm not going anywhere until you give me bread. Now, if you look at that parable and you imagine that the dude who's in the house sleeping is God, you get a warped view of who God is. Because you get a picture of God being like, oh, for crying out loud, fine. But that's not what the story's about. The story's about Wayne, who won't leave the door until he gets what he's asking for. Jesus says, that, that, that's the way you're supposed to do it. And that's where you get, and in Matthew 7, if you turn your, your Bible just to like a page or two, depending on your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, that, that's what parable Jesus told in Luke 11 to lead to this saying, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. For everybody who asks, receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Persistently ask. Just keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Get to work on the things that it's going to take you to do in order to make his name great. Continue to seek for those. Keep on knocking. Why? Why would I keep knocking on his door? What's the point? I mean, you say he answers prayer. Is his answer going to be any good? Is his answer going to be any good? Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Unfortunately, as I read that, I can think of a few dads who would think it was hilarious to hand their kid a snake when he was asking for a fish or a rock. <laughs> When he was asking for bread, the point of what Jesus is saying here is, 
A loving father would never give his son or daughter something that would hurt them. I mean, <laughs> the, the dad would say no. No! Even as the kid pouts and throws a temper tantrum, like, but I want to play in the street. No! Man, my dad's a moron. Mom's dads, you know what that's like. As parents, you try to get your kids to understand how much you love them, how much you care about them, and how you do. You want them to experience pure joy. You want them to experience the fullness of life. But, but as, as you try to explain that to your children, it often falls on deaf ears because they just want to play in the street. So dad's actually a big mean bully because he said no. But the wicked dad, and the, the, the wicked father, he, he knows, what, so, so the wicked father goes like this, the kid, can I play in the street? He's like, no, you can't play in the street. And then the little kids, I want to play in the street. And the wicked dad says, you know what, you know what, shame on me. You're, you're absolutely right. I know that broke your heart. I'm so sorry. Go ahead and play in the street. To the good father will always give to his children what he sees and knows with the knowledge he's been given will bring value, depth, and meaning of life for that kid. And so God, who is infinite in knowledge, will at times, as you beg for health, for life, for removal of pain, for closure. At times, God in his infinite knowledge will say, no. It's not because he's angry with you. It's not because you've done something wrong. It's because he loves you. And he sees what you can't see. You may not answer in the way we had hoped or requested. What kind of God would he be if he gave us everything we asked for? Even if it wasn't for our good or if it harmed us. The bottom line when it comes to prayer is this. Do you believe God is good? I am certainly not saying you understand everything he's done or understand everything he's doing or everything he will do. That's, that's a weight that none of us can possibly carry. What I'm saying is you need to anchor the boat of your life on the fact that God is good. And for some reason... His answer is different than what you want. And at the end of the day, even more than you need your business fixed, more than you need um, your wayward child to come home, what you need more than anything is to know personally and see the might and the power 
of Christ on his cross. And if you can see that, then there's hope for the rest of it. Remember, the gospel isn't if you love Jesus, then you get everything you want. The gospel is you get Jesus, no matter how hard it is, he'll be enough. Let's pray together. Father, prayer is um, not complicated. But it's difficult. It's difficult to stand up here knowing some of the things that um, people I love are going through today. Um, It's not a pet answer. It's not just something you say. I, I believe you are good. And I believe you know far better than any of us do why you're doing what you're doing and how you're doing it. And so, God, um, I, I pray for strength to commit that to you. I pray for grace to accept what your answers are. And then, Father, I pray that you would capture our hearts in such a way that our worship would be sweeter than it ever has been before. May we... May we learn to love you even through difficult times. May we learn to pray and to commit these things to you and trust you in them. And Father, I ask that we would see more of you as we trust you. Amen.